This is the Green Student Ministries Middle School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. So with this new series this morning, we are we're in Romans. Um, we're going to talk about the gospel according to Paul, all right? And so uh, as we get ready to jump into this, this is going to be for the next five weeks. Um, how many of you have heard of a term called the Romans Road? Romans Road. Okay, so, so most of us, all right? And if you haven't, you're fine. No big deal. It's not, you're not like missing out on something like gigantic, all right? You're, you're right. Don't worry. Um, hopefully, after we walk through this, that'll be something that you're a little bit more familiar with or acquainted with. And so I'm excited to jump into this. Um, but as we do, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Romans. Um, Romans is in the New Testament, and it is um, after the Gospels and Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Gospels, and then Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and then right after that is the book of Romans, the book of Romans. So um, in my Bible, uh, which looks nothing like yours, it's on uh, page 936. So I don't know if that helps you or not, but uh, maybe it's close. Just somewhere around, maybe around page 900-ish or so. You just take a guess. It'll be all right. So, so as, we, as we jump into this, um, the, kind of the, the, very, the very first um, passage in the Romans Road is, uh, is this one. So we can, we can throw this one up. It's Romans 3. 23, um, and this is where we're going to kind of be camping out at this morning, um, and here's what it says. This is actually, everything up here on the screen this morning is going to be New Living Translation, all right? So it's, it's not ESV, it's not NIV, so it may look a little bit different than what's in your Bible, um, but I really like the New Living Translation, especially for, for Romans. Uh, it helps us just kind of take a look at it. It's a little bit easier to kind of digest and handle and, and uh, pick apart when we read it. So uh, here, here's, here it is, Romans 3.23, the first part of, of Romans Road, which really, Romans Road is, a, is kind of a tool that is, is designed for, if you wanted to talk to your friend about the gospel, about what you believe, you could walk through kind of these five different verses, all right? And so every week, we're going to focus in on one of them and walk through kind of the context around them and a little bit more and, and dig into these, to these verses. So if, if you're able to walk through um, those five verses, you're really essentially able to lay out the gospel in a very clear picture to say, hey, if you, if you don't believe this, this is what I believe, this is why you should also believe this, this is why this is important. Um, and so I think that this is huge for us. So I hope you guys dig in, take notes, pay attention to this. Um, here we go. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So that's the verse. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Really, essentially, what this verse is telling us is that everyone there are no exceptions to this, that we all have missed the mark when it comes to God's standard of living. It's just his glorious standard. We've missed the mark. And really missing the mark, if you were in service last week with, with Mike, he talked about this. That's what um, the word sin actually means, is that the word for sin really just means missing the mark. They talked about um, how, how whenever somebody takes a bow and arrow and would fire it at a target, if you miss the center, like you, you miss the mark. 
That's what the word, where we get that word sin from. Um, but in order for us to maybe dig in a little bit more to the word sin, I have a video for us to watch. Um, it's Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. And so I've, like, I've played a bunch of their videos recently, and that's because, honestly, they're so good. Like, if you have questions about a book of the Bible or words in the Bible or how to read the Bible, the Bible Project is a great resource. It's on YouTube. It's free. Like, check it out. And so we're going to look at this. They're going to talk a little bit about sin and what that word kind of really means. So go ahead. Most people assume the Bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are, and that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards. This is really unfortunate. Because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin? This is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chata simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hair and not chata, that is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to chata your way, miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God a sacred being who represents the creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, and the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so, sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. A fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it, or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security, in his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good, and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him, he thought he was bringing a criminal to justice until he realizes he's the corrupt one. And he says, I have sinned. I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, chata is crouching at the door, it wants you. But you can rule over it. 
So in these stories, sin, or moral failure, is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans. And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes hamartia as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says sin lives in us so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And it's that deep, selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the creator become a truly human one who did not fail to love God and others. That is, he did not sin. And yet, he took responsibility for humanity's history of failure. He lived for others, and he died for their sins. And he was raised from the dead to offer them the gift of his life that covers for their failures. Or in the words of the apostles, he committed no sin, yet he carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to our sins and live to do what is right. And that's the story behind the biblical word for sin. perfect. All right. Does that help explain a little bit more? Have you guys heard? How many learned something new from that? Learned something new? Yes. Okay, perfect. Good. Worth it. Worth it. Um, so, so sin is something like described in that video. It is something that is, is in us, and it is also this word that's used throughout, throughout Scripture to talk about how we miss the mark how we have failed when it comes to living a perfect life, living to God's standard, all right? And so here Paul is writing to the Romans in chapter three. And so again, if you guys are there with me, we're gonna start out this morning um, in verse nine. So we're gonna back up. So before 23, we're gonna back up to verse nine. Um, and let's just talk about this because I think, I think it's important to understand what sin is um, but I think that it's also more important that once we realize what it is, um, that we have to all understand that it affects every single one of us, all right? And so here we go, verse 9. Um, go ahead and throw that up for me. Here's what it says. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. So he's writing to his people. He's writing to the Jewish people in Rome, and he is already immediately saying, no, just because you are God's chosen people, just because you are of Israel does not mean that you are better than anybody else around you. So get that out of your mind. And here's why. He says, no, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, and Gentiles is literally just a word that for them it describes non-Jews. So it's like whether they're one of us or not one of us, it doesn't matter because all of us, Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. So he, he talks about sin as having this, this power over us. It's, again, he, he writes about it later on that it's like we are slaves to sin, that in moments where we know what's right, we still struggle to do what is right. 
Because sin has this power in our lives that causes us to be at war with ourselves. And so here we go, verse 10. As the scriptures say, he lays this out. Next slide. Verse 10. No one is righteous. He's quoting from the Old Testament here from Isaiah. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. That's pretty heavy. We can go to the next one. He continues in verse 13. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. This is like really heavy stuff. This is bad. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. And, and the fear that he's talking about is, is not necessarily like whenever you go to bed as a kid and you're like, I need my nightlight because I'm afraid of what might be in my closet. Like that's a different kind of fear, all right? He's talking about like an awe and a reverence, understanding who God is in terms of his power over all things, his wrath um, that is really the, the result of, of sin, that sin should be punished and destroyed and discarded and thrown away. But because of his mercy, right, we can, we can be in fear of that. But at the same time, we stand in a different place than those who don't know God. But then again, I would ask you that question this morning of do you know him and do you believe in him? But regardless of the answer, all of us at one point or another, or even now this morning, we live with sin, this power that attempts to control and take us and make us do the wrong thing where we fall short and we miss the mark. It's kind of like there is this, um, there's this, there's this old, I guess I would say that it's old. It's not that old, but has anybody ever heard of the movie Daddy Daycare? Okay. Yes, I know. I'm like transitioning. It's like we're, we're, we're switching gears here. All right. Daddy Daycare was one of my favorite movies of all time growing up. And my favorite scene of all time, all right, it's Eddie Murphy. Um, and he is, him and like these other dads around, this, around their neighborhood, they're like, they're trying to compete with like the fancy daycare that like costs tons of money. And they're like, well, we could just, we could just do our own daycare. We could do that. And, um, and so they start running their own daycare. And it's these bunch of dads who like have no clue what they're doing. Um, but there's this one kid who's like, He's got this curly hair. He's adorable. And he comes to Eddie Murphy in the middle of the movie, and he's just like, I need to go to the bathroom. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, let me just take you to the bathroom. Um, and so he, like, he walks this little kid to the bathroom, and he sends him in there on his own. And he like closes the door, and he's like, all right, go on, do your business. You're doing a great job. And so he closes the door, and he like waits. The kid comes out like 10 seconds later. And it's just like, exactly. He, he walks out. And, he, and he's like, how did it go? And he goes, I missed. <laughs> and, he, and he was like, what do you mean you missed? <laughs> what? what do you mean? And all you see is the reaction shot of him, like slowly, like creeping open the door and like the psycho music. Er, 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 er. And he's just like looking around like, <gasps> and my favorite is he looks up at the ceiling. He's like, <gasps> <gasps> and you're just imagining like, what, 
what happened here? What is this? And it's just like, I missed. And so now I'm terrified of that. Like I have nightmares of, of Leland, my three-year-old, because now he goes to the bathroom by himself. And there's been a couple of times where he'll have, he walks out of the bathroom and he comes to me and he's like, I missed. <laughs> and it's like, okay, what do you mean you missed? Like, like you missed a little bit or like you didn't make it? Like, is that, is that what happened here? All right. And so there's like, in general, there is like an expectation when it comes to going to the bathroom that you're not going to miss. <laughs> and so like you, he has to learn that as a kid growing up. All right. That like, you don't, missing is not good. <laughs> all right. Um, and, but the funny thing about that is that I think that that relates back to this whole idea of missing the mark. I know we're talking about the bathroom, but then also we're talking about sin here. Um, and so where, where we're called to this standard of living, we're called to this standard of living, and we're pretty much the kid coming out of the bathroom to God going, I missed. <laughs> God's like, what do you mean you missed? <laughs> I missed. <laughs> oh, no. All right? And so, and so here's how Paul, Paul begins to lay out, here's how um, we know that we missed. So go ahead and go to the next slide. Verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. So the law that he's talking about is all of the, the writings in the Old Testament, um, especially Deuteronomy, um, Numbers, like all of kind of those old in the first five books of the Bible where, where scripture lays out, here's how to live, right? The other week we actually talked about the Ten Commandments. That's part of the law that the law was given so that people would be able to try to hold themselves to a standard. The law is God's standard. Don't lie. Don't murder. Honor your father and mother. Have no gods before me. We walked through those 10 things. Don't want what's not yours. We walked through all of those things, and we have to look at ourselves and say, am I meeting this standard? And he says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. So Paul is saying that the law, those commandments and, and all of the other commands given in the Old Testament is that if we try and hold to those perfectly, we see very quickly that we fail, that we mess up, that we cannot keep those. Not 100%, not perfectly. He says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. And that's simply because we can't do what the law commands. We can't hold to it. We can't keep to that. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so I would ask you the question this morning, do you understand the sin in your life? Do you understand that you are a sinner? Because by God's standard, by scripture, by his law, all of us are sinners. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is no exception to the rule. We are all sinners. And that's important for us to understand. And I know that that's, I know you, like, you came in here and you're like, man, I was hoping to be encouraged this morning. And I'm like, you're all sinners, <laughs> all right? But guess what? So am I. Um, we all are. But then here's where Paul goes, all right? Verse 21, we can go to the next. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him 
without keeping the requirements of the law. Okay, wow, yes, okay, yes, tell me more. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Let me read that last part again. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter the life that you've lived up to this point, you have to ask yourself the question this morning, and I would press you guys on this, and I do it all the time, but I wanna, I wanna continue to push this because I don't, I don't want you to just grow up going to church on Sunday, thinking that that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus or to be a Christian. Being a Christian doesn't mean that your parents are saved and so, okay, then I must be okay. Being a Christian doesn't mean just going to church and wearing my nice clothes on Sunday and, and having everybody think that I have my life all together. That's not what being a Christian looks like. It's understanding that each and every one of us here in this room are sinners. But... Even so, through faith in Jesus, we have the ability to be made right with God so that when he looks at us, we're not missing the mark, but we're hitting the bullseye. We're right in the center because that's where Jesus landed. Jesus lived a perfect life for us, took our sin that was supposed to be ours, and he paid the price for the sin that was supposed to be what was our death, our punishment. He took all of that and it's gone. This is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. And then we get to the verse, the first verse in the Romans road, the one Romans 3.23. Go ahead and throw it up there and we'll continue even. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But the next verse is, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. But here's the deal. I think one of the biggest problems, issues, or hardest kind of, one of the biggest reservations that I would say comes from, um, from most, most of us when it comes to the idea of like, do I believe in Jesus or should I give my life to him? It's really hard for us to look in the mirror and say, there is something wrong with me. And not just like, my hair is a little off today or um, I don't like what I'm wearing right now or it's not that. Like for us to really take a look in the mirror and to say, there is something deeply broken in me. It's the reason why I know maybe sometimes what's the right thing to do, but I don't do it. Or it's the reason why even though I, I wanna be good or I wanna obey or listen or I, I don't wanna be in trouble, I continue to make bad decisions. Or maybe there's this thing that I feel like I'm, I'm stuck in and, and it happens maybe every day or every other day where, where I know that there's, there's these things that I shouldn't be doing, these things that I shouldn't be participating in, these things I shouldn't be saying. 
And yet I find myself every single day running back to those things. And, it, and it's this cycle and I can't, I don't know what to do. That's the sin in your life. Every one of us are sinners. But the good news is that Jesus pays the price for our sin and he helps us and he walks us through this life and he walks with us, beside us. And then all of a sudden, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week, a couple weeks ago, about how when we believe in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit comes, he lives in us and he helps us walk and fight and wage war against the sin in our lives. And so now we have this battle going on where if we are in Christ, we see the sin in our life, but the Holy Spirit offers us a way out. We are tempted, but we're always offered a way out. We can overcome by the power of Jesus. And so I would ask you these kind of three basic questions this morning. Go ahead and flip to the next one. This is what I wanna kind of leave us with this morning. And we'll, we'll continue to talk through answers over the next couple of weeks, so come back. But I wanna, I wanna, I just want you to, to think about these things. Do you truly believe that you miss God's mark? Like, do you really understand that concept, that we miss the mark, that there actually is something wrong with us. I'm not just like, okay, there is something really wrong within my heart. I'm a sinner. And I think understanding the weight of our sin is important too. Understanding the fact that it's not just this thing that's out there, but like that it's in me, constantly trying to pull me away from God. Sin is this, is this lie that I tell myself that I know what is right, I know what is good, and I love the way they talked about it in the Bible is that a lot of the time sin, for the most part, is us making excuses about the desires that we have so that way we can get what we want at the expense of others, whether it's God or those around us. That sin always leads to usually pain and suffering, if not for ourselves, but for those around us or for God as he sees our pain, as he sees our sin. And then the third thing I would ask you this morning is where is your hope? Because if it's in just coming to church on Sunday and just kind of going through the motions and doing the right things and like pretending like everything's okay, I would say that you can run that road for a little while, but you're gonna, you're gonna hit a wall or a breaking point at, at some moment in your life where you, it's like, it's like kind of put up or shut up at that moment where you have to decide, am I going to fully surrender my life to Jesus or am I gonna try and do this on my own? See, Jesus promises a life to the full. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's sin crouching at your door, waiting to destroy you. But I have come that you may have life and life to the full, life abundantly. It's different. It's better. And so where is your hope this morning? I'd, I would legit just straight up ask you guys this morning, have you, have you put your, your faith in Jesus Christ? Like, do you believe he is who he says he is, that he came to rescue you from your sin that you have, that is, that is eating you alive? Have you done that? Maybe that's, maybe that's something that you need to do this morning. Maybe you've been hearing about all this and you're like, you know what, I get it. Like, I, I'm ready. Okay, yeah, I understand my sin. I understand my need for Jesus. Like, how do I do that? I wanna be in, Adam. What do I need to do? I would say, come and find me, like, right after we're done. 
And I, I would love to talk to you. There's leaders around you that want to talk to you. You probably have parents that want to talk to you about that. Here's the deal. But you don't, here's, you don't even need us to do this, all right? It's not like you need an adult to, to follow Jesus. You can do that yourself. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe that he is who he says that he is. That he came to rescue you and save you from your sin. Everyone who believes in their heart, right? You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. And so that's where I'm gonna leave us this morning. And I would encourage you to ask yourself, where is your hope? So I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing and we're gonna get out of here. But don't forget those questions. Where is your hope this week, today, right now? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your sacrifice, for the fact that you took our sin, you took our punishment, you, you took the, the very thing that separates us from you and you, you're able to destroy it. You're able to get rid of it. God, would you convict us this morning? Would you convict our hearts of, of the sin that we have in our lives? But then remind us of the hope that is found in you. You don't leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in our brokenness. God, you, you came to earth, you left heaven, and you came to rescue us, to walk with us, to walk alongside of us in order that we could, we could hit the mark. God, that we would, we would be with you forever. And so would you remind us over and over and over again of how you came and you were with us always. We love you, Jesus. Jamie, pray all these things. Thanks for listening to the Greenston Ministries Middle School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. If you have any questions or concerns, feel free to contact us at gsm.thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.